Okay, so get your Bibles out. Go to the book of Romans chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 21. Now, I expect great things from this this morning. Um, I have been trying to put this message together all week, and then I put it together, and then this morning I was adding something to it. My finger was cold, and I hit the wrong button, and I deleted everything. And so I said, okay, well, was I not supposed to preach that, Lord? You know, I mean, it's gone. <laughs> and uh, my wife said, oh, there's a way to get it back. And I said, I probably is. I don't know how. I was going to redo it. So anyway, it may come out different this morning than what it was supposed to, but bless God, I won't believe it's going to be God. And I really feel like this morning that, that God wants to speak to somebody specifically, okay? Maybe you, maybe somebody else, but in this message, it's, it's a very simple message, but I believe there's a, there's a reason for it. Because I believe in this day and time we're going on, everything in the world is getting so crazy. Everything is getting so twisted around. Everybody's twisting the word around, twisting this around, trying to do all this and that and the other. I believe that sometimes the simple things are the things we need to cling on to because we can hold on to them because we understand them. And one thing I or what I want, the title of this message is God's got your back. And there's a lot of things that make you want to think at times that God doesn't have your back. And the devil really wants to make it look like, you know, if, if you prayed about something and it didn't come to pass like you thought it should have, well, then, you know, you're like, God, why didn't you do this? And, and it's always this this cutting away at your faith and this cutting away at your 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 strength in life of, of just saying, you know, you, 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 you know, God's not real. God's not alive. God's not going to do anything. It's all just hoopla. You don't need to do it. You, you know, we should be fishing. I mean, even the disciples, when they got discouraged, they said, I'm going fishing. Peter said, let's go fishing. Just let's just forget this mess. I'm tired of it. Let's go go out and go fishing. And so there's always that pull. Man, look how beautiful it is outside today. So you just think, well, I just want to go out and, you know, lay on the couch and eat potato chips, whatever. And I'm just telling you, God is alive. He's not dead. And I'm telling you, God wants to move in our lives. But at this time of the onslaught of everything coming on, it's up to us to stand up and really say, God, I know you got my back. So this is where I'm going with this message. So Romans chapter three, verse 21 is where I'm going to start. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Now, stop right there for a minute. You know, you get to reading the Bible, and you get to reading all this about this and that and the other and the law and this and that and that. You got to understand something. In the days of Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious people of the day who were adhering to that we that the people must keep the law of Moses. OK, first five books of the Bible. They must keep the law of Moses, all the ordinances, all the commandments. That was the way you had to serve God. You didn't serve God because you loved him. You didn't serve God because you really thought he was going to do something for you. You served God because you were under this religious scrutiny that you had to be perfect. You had to obey. And the only way to do it was to do it by the law. And so the law, when you say the law, you know, you got to understand it's not just the Ten Commandments. 
right? That's part of the law, but it's not, that's not all of it. That's, there's all these other ordinances and covenants. At times you had to go to church and the sacrifices you had to bring and, and how you had to make the sacrifices. And then, you know, how you had to keep yourself from touching anything that was dead and what you ate. And it was just, man, it was just rules and regulations. But God says in his word that the whole time that he did that, he gave man the law simply because man was obstinate to walking in faith. And so he wanted to show man, okay, if you think you can do it, here it is. Here's the law. This, if you did all of these things, you'd be perfect. You'd be righteous in my eyes. And the sin in your life would not be able to have dominion over you. Y'all with me? So here, do it. So he put it all out there. Well, it's impossible. There's nobody that can do it. There's nobody that can keep the law. I don't care who you are and what you're going to. You're just going through the motions, but you're always going to be falling short because the commandments say if you fall short with one, you fall short in them all. You can't say, well, Lord, I was a 99 percenter. No, you were short. You didn't make it. So he starts the whole New Testament is about showing us that through faith and belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, because Jesus fulfilled all the righteous commandments on the law and took it to the cross and died for our sins, that we can live free from the law, right? But we're going to have to live by faith. Okay, so let me read on. But the, I'm starting back. But the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Jesus was demonstrating the righteousness of God because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now look at that last part. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it's saying here that God himself, the creator of the world, the one who put all the stars up in the skies and knows them all by name. That guy. Okay. Who created the world in six days. Who made everything. God the Father. That he is the one who's backing up what Jesus did. So if you say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus. And somebody says, well, that's not right. You got to keep the law. You say, well, God's my justifier. God's got my back. God's backing this up. Not just denomination, not just religion, not just, not just the Bible, but God himself is backing up his plan. Now you got to understand the plan. Every year, every year, <clears throat> the, uh, the high priest was supposed to go into the Holy of Holies. It was a scary place because in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, if you've seen Indiana Jones and, you know, the, the very first lost Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, they had the, they had the box out there, right? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all look at me like you never heard what I'm talking about. Come on. 
Y'all all saw it. Quit acting like you don't watch TV or something. You know, y'all saw it. And, you know, and at the end of the thing, you know, in the box, all these spirits are flying around. Everybody's like, woo, you know, Twilight zone And then, you know, fries everybody's face off and everything. Well, it was about like that. To be honest with you, the presence of God was in the place and the high priest has to go in there once a year and he has to pour the blood out of a, of a perfect lamb upon the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, I'm just painting with a big brush here. It was a, basically a three by three by five foot box covered in gold, had a crown around the top of it. And so you had he had to pour this blood out on top of it, representing because the angels that came up from it. The presence of God was there representing that the sins of man, because inside the box was the Ten Commandments, the, the golden pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded was in there. All of them representing the things that man couldn't do, that man couldn't keep in there. And then the blood went on top. And so the presence is out here. The blood's on there. And then the sins of man are in, in covered. OK, now the high priest had to go in there once a year. And he had to pour it out, just hoping that he did everything right, hoping that he didn't. I mean, literally, if you stepped on a dead cockroach going in there, you were unclean. All right. So, I mean, he had to watch everything he was doing. He had to make sure that his vestments were on right, that everything was straight, that everything was done right. Go in there, pour out the blood. If he did it wrong, <laughs> sweep him up with a dustpan. OK, so. This is what all the religious people are thinking of the day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're remembering this, they're remembering the stories of the high priest having to go in and do all these ceremonies and these sacrifices. But if it was successful, then the sins of Israel was atoned for one year. Then they had to go back and do it again. But God, in his wisdom, said, look, we're going to finish this. I got a new plan. What I'm going to do is I want to send the blood let me send my son who is going to be the blood of the perfect lamb. That word propitiation means mercy seat. I'm going to make him the perfect lamb who's going to go to the cross, who's going to give his life for the world. And then his blood's going to be poured out once and for all on the mercy seat, but not the one that sits on earth, but the one that was in heaven. I'm going to pour the mercy, I'm going to pour the blood out. And then all the sins of man. Hear me now. Taken care of. And I'm saying this is I'm, I'm paraphrasing this. OK, I'm just putting my own vernacular here. God's saying this is the way I'm going to do it. And I'm backing it up. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ, that means God's backing you up because you say, Jesus, you forgive me of my sins. The almighty God backs you up. Look at the person beside you and say, hey, God's got my back. Now, you have to understand something in the in the lineage. Abraham came before Moses, right? You find Abraham's story and God calling him out of his country in Genesis 12. Moses came later. Abraham came first. God said to Abraham, Abraham, get out of the country and go out there and I'm going to bless you. And I'll bless all those who bless you and curse all those who curse you. And I'll make a great nation out of you, right? Okay. Now go to Galatians 3.13. So because man could never keep the law, all right? And since the time of Adam and the fall in the garden, there was a curse on the world. Man was always living and operating under the curse. 
In Galatians 3.13, it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Okay, so the law wasn't cursed, but the law made you guilty. Now, follow me here. You know, driving here this morning, I know all of y'all drove perfectly. No one sped. But if we had no law stating that there was 70 miles an hour was as fast as you could go if you were on the road, right? The, if there was no speed limit, then how could a police officer stop you and give you a ticket if there was no law? Right? He couldn't just come up and say, I think you're going too fast. Well, how fast would I be going? I don't know. I don't care. Don't make any sense. I think you're going too fast. Well, he doesn't get to determine that. The law does. So because there is a law when you're speeding and you know it. I mean, we always come with that. Oh, sir, how fast was it going? I'm, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. We always come up with that one. Because you're trying not to get a ticket. Because the moment you get stopped, what happens? You know you're guilty. And what you're hoping for is mercy. And so the law comes up. The police officer representing the law comes up. You've been speeding. You were going 85 and a 70. You know you're over. Like I said, this I know it never happened to y'all. I mean, y'all are good, godly people don't do that kind of stuff. But you got to just go with me here. And and. You know you're guilty. And he sees you walking up, you're just praying. Oh, God, blind his eyes. Don't let him see. Give me favor, God. I mean, y'all get serious in prayer. That morning he may have said, oh, God, help me to be with me. You know? I and mean, now you're serious. Oh, Jesus, come on now. Come on down here. Oh, no, I think I've got, Lord, let him get saved before he gets up here. You're, man, you got all kind of prayer going. Because you know you're guilty and you're wanting to get out of it. Because you don't want to pay the fine. Well, it's the same thing. What, what they're saying here, the law is not what's cursed. What's cursed is the law is saying you're guilty. Because we know we're not perfect. I don't know about you, but I know I'm not perfect. Hello? You don't even have to ask my wife. Just take my word for it. I ain't perfect. And so we're not perfect. So. It's not the law that's a curse. It's what the law brings because it makes you feel guilty and condemns you in the eyes of God that you are a sinner. So the law was never set about to show you the way of righteousness. The law was set about to show you you're a sinner. So then why are people trying to keep the law or live by works because you've already been shown that you can't do it? So then why do we let the devil make us feel guilty when he's trying to put upon us religious rules and laws? When the law is only going to bring condemnation. Are y'all following me here? I mean, I'm preaching really good. Woo! I'm preaching liberty here. Not liberty to sin, but liberty to get away from the condemnation and the guilt that the devil wants to throw on us that we're not perfect people. I'll admit it. I'm not perfect. I, I, it's no big deal. God knows I'm not perfect. Right. But I'm not living under the law because under the law, there's a curse. 
and I don't want to live under the curse. I want the other set of laws that doesn't have a speed limit to it. So it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Why was he going to redeem us from the curse? So that the blessings of Abraham, not Moses. Look where we're at in genealogy here so you, you know what time we're at. Not Moses, but the blessings of Abraham might come upon you or might come upon the Gentiles in Christ. This new way, God's doing it. Not the old way, but the new way. The new way saying, I'm backing it up. I got your back. If you believe in Jesus through faith, that's how you're going to be made right with me. Through faith and belief that Jesus is the son of God. Hear what I'm saying, folks. Not that you're the son of God. I'll show you in a minute that we're sons of God, like a little s, but you're not the son of God. He's saying, I won't. Man, look. God jumps up and down. The Bible says when one sinner repents, all of heaven throws up and has a party. One. That's how important it is for a person to be believing in Jesus Christ as the, the answer, the son of God who redeems the world and redeems you. When one person says, Lord, I do believe that Jesus is the son of God. All heaven. Woo! Man, they go to having a party. I mean, you know, we always get this in our minds, you know, it's all religious. The trumpets go, you know, and everybody does. I don't believe that at all. I believe they, man, I believe they get down. I mean, I think we got cowboy angels. We got ballroom dancing angels. We got all kinds of different angels. I believe they fly around, do whatever. All right. My point is, all of heaven rejoices. All Just think of that. There is an innumerable multitude. So how many is an innumerable multitude? Man, that's a wide, right? An innumerable multitude of angels. They are all rejoicing because you got saved. Because you believe that Jesus Christ was the Lord and Savior of, the, of your life. And you said, Jesus, I believe in you. And all of heaven, just think of the riot you caused the day you got saved. But it's so easy to go into some religious, uh, you know, grind and just, you know, you're just trying. You're just going through the motions. There's not really any any faith in it. There's no, you know, oh, yes, yeah, so-and-so got saved last night. Yeah, praise God. We had, you know, 10 kids give their heart to Jesus and children's church. You know, oh, great, you know. And no, no, no. Man, all of heaven rejoiced. All right? And then on top of that, on top of that, the blessing that God pronounced upon Abraham. Just think about this. When he says, look, it's going to be real simple. I mean, if you go read Genesis chapter 12, there's only a few verses of what the blessing is. And it's simply this. You're blessed. That's the root of it all. God Almighty saying to Abraham, you're blessed. I got your back. Wherever you are, I'm there and you're blessed. What you put your hands to is going to be blessed. Where your feet go is going to be blessed. It's all going to be blessed because I said one thing, you're blessed. Look at Psalms 139.5. Scary all there. 
139.5. The Lord says, I've had, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. That's like <clears throat> a father standing by his son and his son is nervous or scared about something. And the father lays his hand on him, puts his hand on his shoulder like, it's OK, I got you. I'm here. And you feel the comfort. Oh, OK, daddy's here. Hello? He says, I'm going to hedge. You, you hedged me behind and before and you laid your hand upon me. Look at look at Isaiah 59 1. Isaiah 59.1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. God doesn't have a short arm. He ain't got something where he can't reach you. I don't care how low you are, how, how down in the dumps you are, how far you think you are from God. God's arm is not so short that he can't reach down and pick you up. And one of my favorite ones about the hand of God is Nehemiah 2 and 8. You probably have heard me say this out of my mouth all the time. It's just something that one day I was reading the Bible and I saw it and I started laughing and it leapt off and leapt in my heart and it, and it's just in my life. Nehemiah 2 and 8 is when Nehemiah, the cupbearer, was going to, to help build the walls in Jerusalem and he got a letter from the king and he was taking the letter to the to the guy, and he says, and, and, and verse 8 says, in a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he must give me the timber and make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertain to the temple for the city wall and for the house that will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Nehemiah, he didn't have any power, but he had all kinds of power and authority when he had the letter from the king. Then he could walk up there and say, hey, we got so much timber, get her cut and build me the deals. And he said, well, who are you? Check the letter out. And then he was going to take the letter and he's going to look at it and he's going to say, I want to do this because if I don't do this, they're going to kill me. Right. How much more when the enemy wants to come against you? How much more when 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 hell is assaulting you that you stand up and say, uh, do you all see who's behind me and before me? Uh, what do you think you're doing picking on me? I was a very smart young man when I was growing up, not being big of stature, but mean. <clears throat> I could get in trouble real easy. And so I always had big friends. I mean, I sought out the biggest ones, made friends with them. And they always went with me everywhere. And so I was always confident. And I was always like, you want a piece of us? makes a big difference who's standing there behind you. And so what I'm saying to you, well, how much how much greater than to have the confidence inside of you to know that God has got your back. Amen. That something comes against you, no matter what it is, comes against you that you can stand up and say, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All these circumstances, situation, life just got to take a halt here. God's got my back because I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I've entered into this thing through faith. How great a salvation we have. Now go to another. I'm going to show you a share story with you. Go to Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two. Verse one. Mark two one. It says, and again, he entered into Capernaum. And after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. 
and he preached the word to them. And they came to him and they bring in a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, this story is a wild story to me, because like right now preaching, if we were so full in here that I heard somebody up there, the screw gun taking off sheets of tin on the deal, I would be telling one of the ushers, get out there, get them fools off. We'll bring, you know, we'll make a way. Do not tear up my roof. OK, but here's this. And I think I always think about this. Well, can you imagine the person who owned the house sitting there? And he's just hearing them up and they're just taking the tiles off and tearing up his roof. And he's sitting there saying, what is going on? Then, I mean, then the, the, the dynamic of the story of the faith that the paralytic had to have, because it's he's just a paralytic. He's not incapacitated. He just can't walk. And so they got what did they do, put four ropes, one on each corner. Who do you trust to lower you down when you're just on a stretcher? I doubt he was strapped in and they're going to let it down and everybody's going to be holding it the same and not letting not getting one side off or the other and dump the poor guy out onto the floor. I mean, there's all kinds of dynamics in this story to me that is just like unbelievable. But anyway, I want you to the point I want you to see is it says when Jesus saw their faith, do you know that faith can be seen? Listen to me, faith can be seen. God knows when you're in faith and when you're not. You're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. You get that plastic smile on your face and say, oh, praise God, everything's good. Right? God knows when you're in faith. And that's where you need to live, is in a place of faith and let God see your faith because when you're, when you're having faith that Jesus is your answer, it excites heaven. It man, heaven just wants to make everything in the world happen and go for you. It's like all of heaven, all the innumerable angels, all of everything's flying around and whipping around and just, I mean, kicking up dust everywhere to make it happen for you because you're believing in him. And God says, I, I said this is the way it's going to work. I'm backing all this up. Are y'all following me here this morning? I mean, I'm not feeling the love coming. I'm not feeling the... I'm not feeling the, the, like, the revelation coming here. I feel like y'all are just kind of looking at me here. You're making me nervous. You're making me nervous. So anyway, this is the place you have to be at. Where is your faith? Folks, your faith can't be in religion. Your faith can't be in your ability to work religion or keep the law. Your faith can't be in that. If it is, you're just off. You're not going to make it. I'm telling you, you're going to fall. If you try to keep it, you got to keep it all. And you can't keep it all. If you're minus, if you're just short in one spot, you ain't going to make it. There's just no way to do it. Right? There's no way. I don't care. You say, well, I'm a better, at least I'm not as bad as they are. That doesn't count. All right. That doesn't count. So what I want to do, and these things you need to write down. I want to give you, I, I don't know how many I got here. This morning I had my whole message and then I deleted it all and I had 14 or 15. I don't know how many I got left, but I'm going to preach all I got left here, okay? And may add some to it. But I got some areas that you need to check your faith levels, all right? The first one is this one. 
The devil has no authority over you. Where's your faith level on that? Well, here's the scripture, Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into this kingdom of the son of his love. Has, is that scripture true? Has God delivered you? If you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and said, Jesus, I believe in you, then the scripture says he has delivered you. So he has means past tense. You're not in the kingdom of darkness. You're in the kingdom of God. So the only thing that rules over your life is the kingdom of God. So the devil may come up and try to sell you a bill of goods from his kingdom, but you don't have to take it. But where's your faith on that? Where's your faith on that? Here's number two. Romans 6, 6. That sin doesn't have dominion over you. No matter how much you're being tempted, no matter how much you're being tried, no matter what's going on, sin does not have dominion over you. It says in Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The moment you ask Jesus into your life, the moment his blood touched you and covered you of your sins, it broke the power and the dominion of sin over your life. Sin has no way to come in there and say, no, this is what the law says. It has no way to do it. It it can't do it. It would be like someone from another country coming over here and trying to make you obey their laws while you're in this country. It can't be done. He has no power, no authority over you. But where's your faith in that? When you're tempted, remember that old country song? Tempted and tried, off made to wander. Hello? When that person says something to you and you just want to punch them in the face and you're tempted, tempted to just say what you want to say, give everybody a piece of your mind. See, I, I, I've been saying this for so long, but like, like if you're still tempted to knock over a liquor store, I mean, you need freedom prayer bad. You need even more than that. Okay, you shouldn't be tempted with those things if you're in Christ. But to be tempted with the fleshly things that you have a given nature to, okay, getting angry, unforgiveness, envy, jealousy, lust, those things like that, you're going to be tempted. But I'm telling you now, you have the power and the ability to stand up and say, no, I've died with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not going to get into that. You have the power to do that, but where's your faith? The third one, John 16, 33. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Do you realize all the craziness going on in the world today? I cannot tell you how it's all going to turn out. I can look, I can speculate, I can look back at history and see how it worked, and I can do all those kind of things like that. But I want to tell you something. All I do know is that Jesus has delivered me from the tribulation of the world. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have to go through some issues or, or my, you know, have to, have to uh, uh, figure some things out or go through some stressful times, but I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to walk out of it in victory. Do you believe that? Or do you believe what CNN says? The fourth one, 1 John 5, 4. The fourth one's really simple, but it's kind of the root of all of them. 
Do you believe that your faith is enough? It says in 1 John 5, 4, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. <laughs> Our faith. The victory that's going to overcome the world's your faith. The victory that's going to overcome in this world is what are you believing? Can I have just a whoop whoop, just a little something? Because I'm telling you, you already got the goods. You already got the goods in you. Because the Bible says in, in Romans 12, 3, that you, everybody's been dealt a measure of faith. You already got a measure of faith on the inside of you. You already have the power that you need. You just got to get it put in God and then you're going to have victory. It's already in you. But, you know, you know, if you ever seen there was a Laura was showing me one the other day. I don't know where she was looking at on something, Facebook or something where it, it, they were just showing this big herd of sheep. And, you know, the one sheep goes and it jumps for no reason. And then everybody else starts following and showing this whole line of sheep running and everybody's jumping and they else keep jumping like there's a log laying there and there's nothing there. Christians tend to do the same thing. Somebody says something because we don't want to search it. We don't want to seek it. We don't want to find it in the scriptures. We don't want to ask and seek and find for ourselves. And when somebody jumps and then everybody else jumps too, and then we're just all jumping Christians and we just all go jumping, jumping, jumping and because we're all stupid sheep. I mean, I first time I read the Bible and saw that they referred to us as sheep, I was, I was a cow man, you know, and I was totally offended. I was like, Lord, this ain't right. Ain't nothing dumber on the face of the earth than a sheep. And then I got to being around Christians more and more, and I thought, well, it fits. <laughs> fits, Lord, it fits. But you have faith to overcome the world, but you just got to use your faith. Okay, here's the fifth one. Philippians 1.6. You know, <clears throat> the Bible says in John 15, 15, that you didn't choose Jesus, Jesus chose you. And I have taken and had great comfort in this scripture here in Philippians 1 and 6 because it says that being confident of this very thing that he that began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And I realize that I make mistakes and I do things that are wrong and I'm not too sharp sometimes. I'm sheepish. But I go back on the Lord and say, wait a minute, you're the one backing me up. And you said in Philippians 1 and 6 that the good work you started in my life, you're going to complete it. So there's only a good work that can be completed in my life. So, Lord, you're going to complete the work in my life, my children's life, my grandchildren's life. You're going to complete it in everybody's life because that's what you said you're going to do. And it's not up to me to make it happen because, folks, you can only do so much in your natural resources. And no matter how good you are, no matter how smart you are, there's always going to be somebody bigger and sharper and smarter than you are out there. But when you turn it back and you say, God, you're the one that said this. I'm just along for the ride. I'm, you call me a sheep. That's what you said. I'm just going to be sheepish. I'm going to walk along and eat the grass. You said you'd put me over in green pastures besides still waters. So that's where I want to be. I just want to be in the rest of God, knowing that you're backing me up and you're going to complete the, pro the project. You're going to get it all done. And then when I look out over the, the scope of work and I say, oh, wow, that I don't know how you're going to pull that off, God. I stop and I put it down. I say, wait a minute. You told me not to look at the things that are seen for the things that are seen are temporal. But the things that are not seen, those are eternal. 
And I'm going to look at the things that are seen. Matter of fact, you told me to call those things that do not exist as they are. So I'm just calling it as a completed work and a completed project. Look at the good work you've done in all of my children, my grandchildren. Look at the future that they have. Look at that. Oh, whoa! Look on down that road. Look at what you did with them. And he said, well, that's just kind of crazy. You're just like some sort of visual on this. Well, what are you going to visualize? Russians are going to charge in here and nuke the whole place. We're all going down, down, down in a burning ring of fire. I mean, what are you visualizing? Is that what you want to sit around? Just stay like that for a little while and see how depressed you get. Hello? No, I am. I'm out there, out there looking, seeing the, everybody being blessed and healed and, and, and people just coming to church, flying in here, people listening all over the world to the broadcast. I'm believing for everything good. I'm believing for, for more miracles, more things, more signs, more wonders. If I stay in that and quit looking at anything else around me, man, it's a happy world. If I look at my ability to make it happen, to get it done, how, oh gosh, I got to get all this done this week. I can't, I don't know how then I just get discouraged and depressed. Because I'm like, Lord, man, I'm really tired. My feet hurt. My back hurts. My everything hurts. And I got to get all this done this week. But if I step back and say, Lord, I'm just going to be sheepish. I'm just going to let you go on out there before me. You're hedging me before and you're hedging me behind and you're making it all happen. You're taking care. You're going to do Philippians one and six. You're going to make the good work happen. Everything's going to turn out good. Everything's going to be blessed. Life looks good. Life looks good. Let me give you a couple more here. Second Thessalonians three, two. Now this one I really like. You've been delivered from wicked men. Now let me tell you something, church. It says, the scripture says that, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all do not have faith. <coughs> Whether you realize it or not, not everybody in the world likes nice people. There are people out there in the world that are just have an assignment from the devil to just be jerks. They do. And you're going to run into them. They're going to come across your path. And they're going to be mean and ugly. They're going to be wicked and unreasonable. They're not going to hold all, all hold the faith. And what you just got to do is say, <clears throat> thank you, Lord, you got me. Because <laughs> the minute you begin to hate that person and want to take vengeance upon them, you just stepped into a place that's not yours. Because the Bible says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So you just stepped in a place. God said, you don't have to do that. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to deal with them. So. You can know God's going to do it. <clears throat> Seventh one. First Thessalonians 1.10. says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, listen to me, church. I'll never forget this. I've told this story before. I think it's number 23. But I'm going to tell it again because there's got to be somebody who knew it, never heard it. I was in the jails, county jails preaching. And uh, it was early days, and, and uh, I used to go over there every Sunday afternoon and preach. And I was in there preaching them, and, I, and I, I kept saying, you know, I was young. I didn't know what I was doing, just excited about Jesus. And I, said, I kept saying, you know, well, Jesus wants to save you. And then I'd go on along, and I said, Jesus wants to save you. And then in a minute, a guy stops me. He says, preacher, save me from what? And I thought, listen to me. I'm over here using religious terms or something. I'm not really... 
you know, not really explaining it right. And so I said, well, that's a really good one. But then I didn't know how to answer him. Right. I mean, it just hit me real hard. And I just like, I just, I, just, I didn't really know how to answer. I said, well, that's a good question. And, and just as quick as that, the spirit of God spoke to me and I said, he's delivering you from the wrath to come. And then he, everybody said, say what? I said, yeah, the Bible says Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, all those that aren't believers in, in him, that God's wrath is going to be poured out on the earth of the people that don't believe in him. And, and so it's going to save you from the wrath to come. Well, well, tell us about that, Peter. Tell us about that. I was like, yeah, yeah, you kind of want to know now. You think something's going to come any moment. But I'm going to tell you something, church. The Bible is plain that God, Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. I would like to tell you all it's going to you know, take place, you know, in a few minutes or whatever. But I, there, the Bible says not even Jesus knows. Only the Father knows. So be, be careful of people out there prophesying, saying, oh, this is lining up, this is lining up, this is lining up. Oh, yeah, the Bible, I can go through and I can look at things. And there are certain things right now lining up with end time prophecy, okay? But I'm just telling you, you don't know the timing. All right? You don't know the timing. But I do know this. It's coming. And it could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years from now. You say, oh, it couldn't be 100 years now because of this. I don't know. You don't know. God knows. All I know is until that time that I either leave planet Earth, right? Either dead or raptured or however, whatever, until I leave planet Earth, our job is to preach the gospel and tell people the good news that you can escape the wrath of God. That the wrath is coming. It's coming. And you say, well, people say, well, you've been, you know, people have been saying that for thousands of years. They have. But what if it's tomorrow? What if it's tomorrow? Are you ready? You have to answer that question for yourself. Now, you know the story when, uh, of, of the, hiring the, the, the servants to go out and work. You know, they were, when th there were people that got hired in the 11th hour. And there's going to be people get saved in the 11th hour. There's going to be people get saved. I mean, I don't know if they're going to show it when we get to heaven. The last sinner that got saved. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I mean, think about that one, you know. All the time, you know, and there it is. He comes up in a little gold chariot or something. Everybody says, that's the last one. Man, he's like, man, I made her in. <laughs> when he realizes he was the last one, right? He's like, oh, man, I didn't know I was cutting it that close. Yeah, buddy, you were the last one. Got a little singe back here on your tail as you come flying in, you know. But I can promise you that you are delivered. When you're in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're delivered from the wrath of come. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about right now what happens, what goes on in the world. If Jesus comes back now, I know where I'm going. If he doesn't come back, I still know where I'm going. If, 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 if I'm still walking on this earth, well, then, you know, whatever the tribulation or problems is, I know that God's behind me and before me and he's got me covered and I don't have to worry. It's not like something could happen in this world that then God can't work. I grieve because of everything going on in the Ukraine. And this whole city they're talking about that, you know, her son. I mean, I was there. I was in the streets. I was preaching. I saw people get saved. And, and I, I, all through the 90s there, we were there multiple times in that city. And I still see those people's faces. My little interpreter was from that town. And, 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 uh. And, and, I, and, and I was grieved. I was just grieved and grieved over the whole thing going on, taking place, because knowing that there are people that have to have been still be there that 
got saved under the ministry there because thousands thousands and thousands of people got saved and uh, are affected. And then so the other day I started turning it around. I started rejoicing. I said, God, thank you that they got saved. I'm just believing you, Lord God, that they were full of power and that they were empowered in miracles and signs and wonders and taking place. And you're doing all kinds of amazing things because we got to preach the gospel over there and they knew it. We passed out tracts and we did all those things and gave Bibles and did all that. And people got touched and that they're, they're out. They're on the front lines ministering and seeing things. I had to turn myself around in my thinking because when I was looking at the other way, I was just so discouraged. But folks, listen to me. God's got a good thing for you. He's got a blessing for you. You are blessed when you're in Christ Jesus. And we should be expecting the blessings of God into our life, not the curse of this world. Amen. And so we've got to have the word, the good news to carry to the people. If you go look at the throughout the New Testament, it's always called the good news. The good news. Not the bad news. The good news. We've got to have good news to carry to this world because this world doesn't have anything to hang on to. Young people today have nothing to hang on to. The suicide rate amongst young people in the United States is higher than it's ever been because they see no reason to live for the future. And I'm telling you, we got to give people a reason. Amen. And his name's Jesus. Amen. So stand to your feet. Let me have my prayer team come down, please. Listen to me. If you're out there watching the broadcast, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. And wherever you are right now, you can call out upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you'll be saved. You can call out and you say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And if that's what you believe in your heart, God will touch you right where you are and he will minister to you. You need to find a good church. You can't find a good church. You can keep tuning in here. But listen to me. You need to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. When you do that, then all this that I've preached today becomes yours. It just becomes yours. So right there, you can call out and say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you gave your life for me. Wash me in your blood. Forgive me of my sins. And he'll touch you right there. If you're in the building here today and, and, and you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you're not sure that you were or are delivered from the wrath to come. Well, then that's why we have prayer team people up here that you can just come and pray a simple sinner's prayer with them and you can give your life to Jesus and right there you can walk out of the building and know that you are delivered. Amen? So listen to me, church. Do not walk out of those doors if you don't know and secure that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. If you're with family members or friends here today or whatever and you're not sure, just ask them, say, hey, just wait for me a minute. Listen, the cafe will still have some food. You ain't going to get in a big hurry because, man, I'm telling you, church, I believe I can guarantee this prophecy is true. We are closer today than we were yesterday to Jesus coming back. I got that one covered. And tomorrow will even be closer. But I know something's going on. I know it in my heart. And so you don't want to wait and meet God on the wrong side. Amen. And so let me pray for you. You strengthen your faith. You know God's got you. And you're going to make it. So, Father, right now, I pray for each and every person. I pray for everyone listening, everyone in here today. Father God, that we know for sure that you got our backs, that you set this all up, you lined this all up, and God, you got our backs. And, Lord, we rejoice over that. We rest in faith, Lord, in that. And I just declare over the people that, Lord, we have a good news to preach to the world. We have something good to tell the world that Jesus was everything that you did for us. And so, Lord, I pray today 
I pray today, oh Lord, that as we leave this building, we go out into the world that you give us divine appointments this week to run across people, to share the gospel with, to tell them about Jesus. That Lord, that we as Christians shine our lights into this world and our blessings everywhere we go because Lord, we're blessed. And so Lord, I praise you for it. And I thank you, Lord, for it. Bless them today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We're here to pray for you up front.